Thanks again to Bob and Praise Team for leading us in praise this morning. What a rousing time of lifting Christ in our hearts through song. What joy there is for believers when we gather together with united hearts to sing to our God. When we sing like that, we just sing the whole, whole service, and that will be sufficient for us. Thank you again for your faithful ministry. Uh, one, one more note, just thank you again. Thanks to uh, the Children's Ministry for hosting this past uh, fall festival on Wednesday night where all the kids got dressed up and the parents, most parents too as well. And it was just a real a fun time of uh, and laughing at our kids and, uh, you know, seeing all these children running around and all their outfits uh, and parents as well. Uh, it was a great time had by all. And, uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to say more because I don't embarrass anybody, especially my wife. You know? So <laughs> pictures will be out soon and you can, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Well, let's get to our study for this morning. We're continuing our study in 2 Timothy. <clears throat> I think it's our ninth or tenth study, and I apologize. We're still on verse, well, we're on verse 2 now. So we, we, we're getting, made some ground here. So can be uh, thankful for that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. That was the subject of our study for the past several weeks. And now verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, and stop right there. So we're going to spend today uh, looking at Timothy. And my first sermon ever on Timothy, the faithful co-worker of the Apostle Paul. I've, I had given many sermons on the great Apostle but I was surprised to discover that this is my first sermon ever on this faithful brother in Christ. And uh, I'm, I'm confident it will not be my last. And I'm sure for many of you as well, after our study of Timothy, you'd want to know more about him, his ministry, his life, his good example given to us in the scriptures. Uh, Timothy, the meaning of the name is honored of God. He is Paul's friend. So you can get, a, get to know someone by his, the companions that he has. And we get to know a little bit about Paul even by seeing his friend Timothy. He is uh, Paul's chief co-worker, chief associate in the ministry. He's mentioned as a joint sender, joint author in six of Paul's epistles. So six letters, Paul credits Timothy as a, a joint sender of his letters. 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Philemon. Now, Paul describes Timothy uh, with several words, several phrases. <clears throat> and you read these descriptions and you're humbled and you're in awe of this brother. Uh, what an honor to be so described by the Apostle Paul in this way. Paul called him... True son in the faith. True son. True child in the faith. 1 Timothy 1-2. 1 Timothy 1-18. He calls him there my child. 2 Timothy 1-2. My beloved child. 1 Corinthians 4-17. My faithful child. And 2 Corinthians 1-1 and Colossians 1-1. He calls him my brother. My, my brother in Christ. 
Philippians 1.1, servant of Christ Jesus. Acts 19.22, my helper. Romans 16.21, calls Timothy my fellow worker. 1 Thessalonians 3.1 and 2, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. We see uh, that they labored in the field together for over 15 years. They were close associates, friends, brothers in Christ. We can now understand why William Barclay would say that, quote, Paul was never able to speak of Timothy without affection in his voice. Without affection in his voice. Over and over again, Paul's voice vibrates with affection when he speaks of Timothy. When he is talking about Timothy and speaking to him. And for those who have been in ministry for a good amount of years, we understand what Paul is feeling. That camaraderie that we have with co-laborers in Christ. Fellow laborers who suffer together, who labor, who sacrifice, who toil in the gospel ministry, who love and give and serve and sacrifice, and you know that they're laboring with you. That sense of unity that you have with that brother or sister goes beyond anything we know in this world. Goes beyond any working relationship, any camaraderie you feel in the uh, athletic arena, what you feel in ministry, well, that's what we sense as Paul speaks of Timothy. Uh, it all began in Acts chapter 14. I don't need to turn there. We'll briefly summarize how they first met. In Acts 14, in Paul's first missionary journey, he traveled to um, Lystra. And he conducted the gospel ministry there. And here we have no mention of Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, in his second missionary journey, revisits that city to strengthen that church, strengthen believers in the, prov- in, in the city of Lystra, in the province of Galatia. Now it seems that it is most likely that Paul led Timothy to Christ in his first missionary journey. That is why Paul calls him my son in the faith, my beloved child, because you have many teachers, but I am a father to you because of the gospel, because Paul himself led Timothy to Christ. Now it was during this journey, Paul was by himself because he had a sharp division, disagreement with with Barnabas, so he was alone. He's in Lystra, and in Acts 16.1, we find the first mention of Timothy in all the New Testament. A disciple was there, a follower of Christ was there in Lystra, named Timothy. We discover that Timothy is the fruit of faithful women who are married to unbelievers. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. That sentence alone is a great encouragement to all moms here who are married to unbelieving husbands. It tells us that the gospel is more powerful to our children than your husband's lack of faith, than your husband's lack of modeling Christ to your children. 
the scriptures are far more powerful to regenerate a child as long as you are faithful to teach him or her the word of God. See, when Paul came to Lystra, he found this young man and he found that though he was a son to an unbelieving father, he had been reared in the scriptures. He had been taught the word of God by two women, Eunice and Lois, his mom and his grandmother, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Talks about that also in 2 Timothy 1, 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What a source of comfort and encouragement that God's word is more powerful than any any man. No matter how much a family member would try to thwart or hinder the power of God's word to transform a soul, long as you as a member of the family is faithful to soul God's word, God's word is more powerful. In fact, as I was meditating on this, I, I, re- I recall, I remember now, I mean, you forget or you don't... Re- you don't consider these things. I am uh, from a First Peter three family. All my, you know, as a child, pretty much my adult life as well. My dad was not a believer until five years ago. It was my mom who took me to church, and it was my dad who would uh, openly mock us as we would pray before meals. It was my dad who would. Um, try to argue with my mom and with me about Christianity and how it was just superstition and myths. Uh, it was my dad who refused to go to church or go to any Christian function and really persecuted us for that. He, he tolerated my mom and me going to church, but did not participate. And I, I shared with you how when I told my dad I'm going to ministry, uh, he got violent and kicked me out of the house and you we know, a big uh, event in our household. But my dad was, if you, remember, if you knew my dad, he was a powerful guy. Very, he was a military police in the Korean army and beat up a lot of guys uh, you know, growing up. Uh, he would get in fights in the golf course and make adult men cry. Uh, <laughs> I mean, his temper was just, you know. But God's word was more powerful. All right. It's encouragement to all of us. Maybe show of hands, I don't know if you want to or not, but how many of you have come from households where one parent didn't believe, but it was either your, most likely your mom or your dad took you to church and shared God's word to you and encouraging the faith growing up? Show of hands, right? Man, so many of us. So may that be an encouragement to all the moms who are laboring at home to be diligent, to sow God's word into your children's life in spite of your spouse's uh, antagonism to the gospel. And may it be an encouragement to us as we identify with Timothy in what he had experienced. Not only that, we see, we find in verse 2 that he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. These were twin cities uh, close together. And the Christians there saw firsthand, the members of the churches there saw firsthand Timothy's uh, life, conduct, his character, his ministry, and they spoke well of him. We find here 
true affirmation for ministry. True affirmation for ministry. What qualifies a man to go to serve Christ is not a seminary degree. It's not some natural abilities like you're just you know you're you're witty, very witty or you're a good communicator or your personality is such a charming charismatic personality it's not some innate abilities to lead people or you have management skills these aren't things that qualify you affirm you to go into ministry the first thing that qualifies a man is that in the context of the local church the members of the church Speak well of you. The leaders and the members affirm your character, your conduct, your doctrine, your way of life. And they said, Paul, you're alone. You shouldn't go to all these these cities to journey for the gospel alone. That's a hard, difficult work, even for you. Here is a brother. We know him and we affirm him. We speak well of him. You should take him along with you and serve him together. Same thing happened when they appointed the proto-deacons in Acts 6. The apostle said, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation. We don't know everyone, but you know who are the men that stand out in terms of their spirit and their wisdom, their doctrine and their character. And we will appoint them to this duty. So we see Timothy was affirmed by his church. Marcus came down uh, four years ago, four and a half years ago from Spokane, Faith Bible Church, called me up, James, I'm going to come down and join Cornerstone and serve. So I did a background search, background uh, investigation on Marcus Denny. Now these are things that I didn't do. I didn't call Whitworth and ask for his GPA. Right. I, didn't, I didn't call his high school and ask for his attendance you know, what do they call it, attendance? Record. Okay, thank you. Right? Because I know my GPA wasn't too good. <laughs> my attendance record is, wasn't too good either. So uh, those are not important. I didn't call. <laughs> right? For ministry, not important. If you have bad GPA, there's hope for you. Right? <laughs> I, I didn't ask him to perform a sermon and we'll kind of uh, rate his uh, communication skills. I didn't have him tell jokes, right? Says how funny he is. Or didn't have him go through spiritual combines. Take the spiritual wonder lick test. If you guys follow football, you know what I'm talking about. No. Well, you know what I did? I called John Smith, his pastor. Hey, John. Uh, what is what, do you, what is your thoughts about Marcus? What's his reputation? I called Todd Dykstra, his college pastor. Todd, you know Marcus. You know his life. What is your... You know, perspective, mindset of him. What is a church's perspective of him? I called Peter Smith. I called him, right? And I said, Peter, Marcus spent nine months with you. You know him. Would you affirm his life, his doctrine, his character, his ministry? Because I knew that's what matters. It's not GPA. It's not seminary. It's not some abilities. It's your reputation, your family, and in the church. So this is what qualified Timothy in the eyes of Paul. Paul knew the rigors of, of missionary work. Paul knew how difficult. He saw John Mark flake away because of homesickness. That was the reason for their division between Paul and Barnabas. So he understands you don't just take anyone 
to do missions work because it is so difficult. It is heartbreaking, heart-wrenching work. Weak souls need not apply. But when Paul heard the church affirm Timothy, that's all he needed. Right? Because God reveals his will through the local church. So Paul took him along. And Timothy's partnership with Paul began at this point. And from this moment on, they were inseparable. They were blood brothers. They were a band of brothers. Right? Timothy was Paul's constant companion, partner, co-worker. He traveled with him throughout most of the second and third missionary journeys. He became Paul's trusted apostolic delegate sent on special missions on Paul's behalf. He was left behind the Berea when Paul escaped to Athens. While in Ephesus, Paul sent him to Macedonia, Acts 19. Paul, he was with Paul in Corinth when Paul wrote his letter to Rome, Romans 16. Paul sent him to Corinth to deal with that unruly church, 1 Corinthians 4.17. Whom shall I send to confront this rebellious, unruly church? Paul sent Timothy. He was with Paul. He brought Paul the report from Corinth. And in light of that report, Paul and Timothy co-authored, in a sense, uh, co-sent 2 Corinthians. It was Paul, it was Timothy that Paul sent to Thessalonica to see how they were doing in Christ. When he wrote Philippians, Timothy was with him in house arrest. He was with Paul when he wrote the church at Colossae. Timothy was constantly by Paul's side. And when there was a difficult job that needed to be done, and Paul was, for whatever reason, through persecution, imprisonment, or current ministry, was not able to do it, who was the man that would go on Paul's behalf? It was Timothy. And so now here we are in Second Timothy. Timothy had been left behind by Paul to lead this church at Ephesus. And Paul was in prison in Rome. He's uh, chained to the wall like a criminal. And he understands that his life is nearly over. Heavy and very responsibilities were now being transferred from Paul to Timothy. And it was beginning at the church at Ephesus. Timothy was charged to combat heretics who were troubling the church at Ephesus. Timothy was called to oversee and set the order of the church, church's worship. Timothy was responsible to select, equip, and train and ordain elders and deacons. Establish a care ministry for widows. Timothy was called upon to command and faithfully teach the doctrines of the apostles. Furthermore, Timothy was called upon to model true godliness and Christ-likeness. The weight was getting heavier. It was like adding four 45-pound weights, plates, on while he's working out. Weight was getting heavier. Paul was in the point of martyrdom. Paul was leaving on his way out. Paul was ending his fall season. Winter was coming. Timothy was embarking on his spring season. His ministry was just beginning. Paul was passing the baton 
to Timothy, and Paul understood this, and Timothy understood this, that a whole new chapter was beginning, was ending for Paul, and was beginning for Timothy. That's why Bishop Hanley Moore confessed that you cannot read this letter, Second Timothy, without finding something like mist gathering in the eyes. Second Timothy is a personal letter. It's a letter that is produced in the context of two men who have suffered for the Lord. And one is ending and he's giving his last instructions, last statements to his beloved son in the faith. And he will face from this moment on heartache and trials and pain, persecution and imprisonment all alone. And Paul, Paul is not going to be there anymore to kind of spot him, to help him, to encourage him. Timothy will be all alone. So understandably, it is a very moving human document. We imagine Paul, the aged, he's languishing in some dark, dank dungeon in Rome. There is no escape but death. His apostolic labors are over and he's writing to a son of the faith his beloved co-laborer, and after 15 years, it is all coming to an end. Now, here we pause and we consider Timothy. We shift our attention away from Paul, now primarily to Timothy. And regrettably, we find that many Christians, many students of the Bible, do not devote enough attention and study to Timothy. I mean, rightfully so, there is much focus and attention to the Apostle Paul. He is a giant sequoia in the forest of church history. And our study of Paul and devotion to his life, they are all fully warranted. At the same time, it is to our great loss that we neglect Timothy's study of his life and example. There are numerous books written about the Apostle Paul, but very few of Timothy as the main subject. In my own library, I have several books, I mean large tomes devoted to the Apostle Paul's life and doctrine. Apostle Paul, Apostle the Heart Set Free, Paul, his life and teaching, the Apostle, the life of Paul, it goes on and on and on. I looked at my library this week, I don't have a single book on Timothy. So I went on to Amazon.com and I searched Apostle Paul, right? page after page of books about the Apostle Paul. And I typed Disciple Timothy. I typed Christian Timothy or right? Follower Timothy, Bible Timothy. I don't know, maybe I didn't search enough, hard enough, but I only found one Christian book on Timothy. And it was not a good book. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Regrettable. I think we're guilty. I'm guilty of this. Uh, it is regrettable. There are four reasons that I could think of why we need to study Timothy's life. Why it's a benefit to all of us to consider his life together. First of all, we are disobeying Paul by neglecting Timothy. We are disobeying Paul. Paul told the church at Ephesus, and he tells us, First Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth. Set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Paul commanded Timothy, Let no one despise you, ignore you, disregard you, 
uh, circumvent you, think around you, just ignore you, let no one do that. Instead, set an example for them to follow. So, as faithful Christians who love the Scriptures and who are similar to the Pauline doctrine, Pauline instructions, if Paul told him not to let anyone despise him, then we must not despise him. In fact, Timothy was a living example, a model of Paul's life. As Paul followed Christ, Timothy followed Paul, and he called the church at Corinth to follow Timothy's example. 1 Corinthians 4, 16-17 I urge you, Dan, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So Paul said, imitate me. I want you to imitate my life, my doctrine. That is why here is Timothy. If you imitate his doctrine and life, you're imitating me as I imitate Christ. Second reason is that in terms of ministry, we have much more in common with Timothy than Paul. We have much more in common with Timothy then Paul, now I tried to explain this to Serene last night and didn't go over well, so it goes over better this morning. I confused her, but I don't confuse you. Here we go. The Apostle Paul was a unique apostle chosen by Christ, commissioned by the risen Lord. He, is, he was the foundation of the church once and for all. Right? And there are to be no more apostles. He's once for all. And he appointed Timothy to serve in the church. There was a, this pressure. I, I experienced that pressure when I committed to ministry to be like Paul and to raise Timothys. Right. But then, that's a that's some large shoes to fill. And then turning around, I felt somewhat prideful to say, "Bob's my Timothy," right? Or like, I don't know, Huey's my Timothy. Right? Studying the scriptures, I realized, wait a minute. I can't be Paul because Paul's an apostle of Christ. Paul is unique and we're all Timothys. Every one of us here, we're all Timothys. Following Paul's, the doctrines of the apostles given to us in special revelation as they received it from Christ. So there is a freedom that we feel having this weight lifted to be like the great Apostle Paul. I mean, who can be like the great Apostle Paul? I I certainly can't. Those are, no way. I can't fill fill those shoes. This past, last Friday night, uh, we had Mike Sims' uh, uh, rehearsal dinner, rehearsal, and then after we had dinner, I went to a restaurant in Roland Heights, and so I'm going, I'm sitting down, I'm thinking, you know, this is Mike's rehearsal dinner, and I'm a pastor, I should be ministering, I should be serving. And I sit down, and you know, there's Mike, Mike sitting next to me, and then you know, Jimmy's sitting next to me, and Mike's lifelong friend is sitting in front of me, and you know, Kathy Wong's is sitting in front of me. And I'm trying to minister to them and encourage them. But right in front of me, this restaurant, they put it there, right? It's not my fault. A big, giant TV screen... And who played Friday night? The Lakers are playing. So I'm trying to encourage them. And I thought I could see like, you know, Derek Fisher making four shots in a row. 
And I look and like I see Andrew Bynum dunking and Jordan Farmar going to the basket. And I was so excited. I'm like, Ginger, should we ministering here? But after the first quarter, I gave up. <laughs> it's like, you were there, you saw me. Forget ministry. I'm watching the Lakers. Because that, that's, I'm Timothy, right? I'm just, I'm just a follower. I'm not Paul. I don't have this, I don't have the God, no way. So if I'm trying to be like Timothy, then I have to perform, I have to act, I have to pretend like some, I'm something I'm not. But if I'm Timothy, that timid, weak, frail guy, stomach problems, man. I can, I can, you know, I'm just following Christ. We're all following Christ, following scripture. So in terms of ministry, we have much more in common with Timothy than with Paul. So how much more should we not neglect Timothy's life and example? Thirdly, in terms of um, life, we have much more in common with Timothy than with Paul. Right? In, in terms of life, we have much more in common with Timothy. I mean, Paul was this grand, you know, physically strong, spiritually disciplined, heart of a lion, this courageous, godly man. You know, he was stoned to death and he got up next, got up and, you know, brushed off the dust and went to the next city to preach the gospel. I can't understand, I can't empathize with that. There's very little in common with me and Apostle Paul. But with Timothy, in terms of life, we have much more in common with him. First of all, Timothy, like most of us, you know, except maybe, you know, Gary and Bob and Mark Choi, relatively young. Right? <laughs> right? So for most of us, we can relate to Paul, I mean Timothy, Bob, Gary, and Mark Choi, a little bit harder, but he was a young man. And, um, you know, he was uh, starting his life and starting his ministry, and uh, he was struggling because of his youthfulness. He was trying to do ministry and gain respect and people were using his age as an excuse to look down on him, to despise him, to kind of circumvent him. So Paul had to encourage him, let no one do that. I know they're doing that to you, but don't allow it, Timothy. Don't, let, don't hide behind your age. Don't use age as an excuse. Set an example. Timothy was struggling with youthful lusts. There are lusts that have in, that ensnare young men, right? Lust of the flesh, pride of life, boastfulness of this world. As young men, we struggle with uh, impure thoughts. We struggle with impure desires. We struggle for with love of this world. We struggle with really childish pursuits. And Timothy struggled with these things. So in that way, we can identify with Timothy. Also, Timothy was physically weak. Prone to illness. First Timothy 5.23, the apostle referred to his frequent ailments. Emotionally, he was uh, timid. He was shy. He was, a, he was an introvert. Right. In fact, he kind of prepares the Corinthians and warns them. And he tells them in 1 Corinthians 16.10, when Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the Lord's work as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me. Right. So Paul had confidence in Timothy, but he understood 
Timothy was kind of a weak-hearted guy, easily intimidated, somewhat timid. And these Corinthians could roll, roll over him like a bulldozer. Right? A strong guy, you don't have to do this. Right? If we send someone, like if, Peter, if we're sending Peter Smith to a church, we don't say, oh, take it easy on Peter. You know? Don't bother him. Be easy with him. He's a fragile guy. No. Peter's coming. Watch out. Right? But with Timothy, Paul had to write. So he's coming. Guys, you know, take it easy. Right? Be at ease with him. Do not despise him. Help him on his way to peace. Why? Because Timothy was uh, a t- kind of a timid soul, a quiet soul. John Stott said of Timothy, Timothy was young in years, frail in physique, retiring in disposition, nevertheless was called to great responsibilities in the church of God. Greatness was thrust upon him. And like Moses and a host of others before and after him, Timothy was exceedingly reluctant to accept it. He felt he was, uh, the task was too great for him. And he wanted to run away. He wanted to hide. He wanted to uh, step back from this daunting responsibility because he felt he was <clears throat> not up to standards to, do the, to carry out the work of the ministry. So we just studied Timothy because it's the command of Paul, our commonness in terms of life and ministry. Fourth reason is because his example is what the Christian church needs today. His example is what Cornerstone needs. We need less Pauls and more Timothys. Right? We need less Pauls and more Timothys. Everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be an apostle. Right? Everybody wants to be up in front and, and speak and perform miracles. I don't know. You know, just they wanna they wanna be in charge. And very few want to be just faithful, diligent behind the scenes, and be available, be ready, eager to serve. There are, the creed of many Christians today is, if I don't lead, then I don't want any part of it. Right. If I'm not in charge, I, I don't want to be part of it. Right. Am I going to lead? If I'm not the leader, then I'm out. I want to teach. And if the, this church won't let me teach, then I'm going to go somewhere else. Do we not understand that a good follower is what makes a good leader? A leader is good because he first followed. A mark of a good teacher is that he was and he is a good learner, a good student. A good communicator is a good communicator because he's a good listener. He is humble. Everybody wants to be Paul. Few want to be Timothy. They don't understand that road to becoming like Paul is by first becoming like Timothy. Walk before you run. Timothy is uh, our example of how we should serve in the church. Christ and His church and cornerstone needs servants like Timothy. And God will raise up Paul's leaders in our church. But the call to every one of us is to be humble servants like Timothy. Now we can go to many passages to consider Timothy, but it's for our remaining time. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 and we find a hearty uh, recommendation that Paul gives to the Philippian church concerning Timothy. Paul here commends Timothy to the believers at Philippi. These verses are very instructive for us concerning what Paul valued in leaders and what Paul considered uh, qualifications that a man must have to serve in the church. Philippians 2, 19 through 22. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. In the gospel. Paul is uh, introducing Timothy and recommending Timothy to the believers at Philippi. And we do this when we have guest speakers come and we introduce the guest speaker to the church. And when I speak elsewhere, they introduce me um, to the congregation. Now, I'm not a big fan of introductions because without fail, we are told about the speaker's achievements, successes. We are told about why you should listen to the speaker because of his education, because of his degrees, because of his fame or other achievements of his life. You should listen to him because he is so coveted. He's such a coveted speaker. Or Sometimes they mention the size of his church, how fast it has grown. The inference is that these are the things that are most important. These are the things that qualify someone to lead, obliging us to listen and follow their leadership. Paul does not do this with Timothy. He does not tell them where Timothy has spoken, how many people have been converted under his ministry. We are not told of of how many books Timothy has written or how many he has sold or the important people with whom he has associated. We are not told about his charm or charisma or oratorial oratorical skills. Paul commends Timothy to the church of Philippi and he tells them he deserves your hearing because of his character, because of who he is. When he comes to you, you should humble yourself and listen to this man. Observe his life, imitate his way of life. Open your hearts to him and love him because he is a humble man because of his character. Look at verse 19 how Paul described him. Verse 20, I have no one else like him. No one else. In the Greek, no one is emphatic. Stresses the quality of Timothy in the eyes of Paul. There simply isn't anyone like Timothy, like him, equal to him. Timothy is unique. He's a rare breed. What about all the other believers, ministers that are with him in Rome? What about them? Well, Paul speaks of them very candidly. 
Paul's no flatterer. He calls it like it is. Verse 21, all of them, they're believers. But like the Atrophies, they want to be first. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. These other guys, man, they're articulate. They know the word. They're flamboyant. They're excellent communicators. But I don't want to send them to you because their interests is for themselves. I'd rather have Timothy than someone who is qualified in the eyes of the world because he's genuinely concerned for you. All these other guys... They all seek their own interests. Maybe he proposed to them, the church at Philippi, they need help. They need ministers to go there to, to serve and teach them. And they were saying, oh, Philippi, that small Roman colony. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm too important for that. Don't you have any bigger tasks for me to do? That's below me. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm too busy. That's too dangerous. That's too difficult a journey. So their interest is for their own comfort, their own ease, for themselves, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy is unique. I'll give verse 20. He is genuinely concerned for your welfare. He has sincere concern for the believers at Philippi. Of all the ministers and believers who were with Paul in Rome, Timothy was the only one who had genuine concern for the believers at Philippi. Nesios, legitimate concern. Legitimate in a sense is familial concern, not an illegitimate concern. Like someone outside the family, he was concerned for them like as if they were members of his own family. The word verb concern has the idea of worry or anxiety. Worry or anxiety. So Christ called us not to worry about food or clothes. Christ called us not to worry about the future, to worry about our body. Here Paul tells us that it is good to be worried about fellow Christians, to be anxious, to be extremely concerned. As for a member of one's family, for fellow Christians. So Paul was like Timothy in that way. So for Paul, he had personal concern for the Christians at Philippi. And everyone else, right, they didn't equal Paul's concern. Timothy was the only one who had same intense anxiety over the spiritual welfare of the believers at Philippi. So Timothy felt the same way about the Philippians as Paul did. Genuine concern. You know, people talk about having heart for the lost. You know, heart for a certain nation, certain ethnicity, or a certain people, group, or tribe. I don't doubt people have that heart. But from my study of Scripture, we can't say that is given by God. You can have that heart. I can have that heart. But there is no scriptural evidence that God gives us a heart for a specific group of people in the world. As, as far as not, in all my studies of the scriptures, there is no evidence of that anywhere in the Old New Testament. But there is evidence in scripture that God gives heart for Christians. So 
then we have a heart for the church that is given by God himself. And that is thoroughly biblical. Timothy had genuine concern for the church at Philippi. Titus, he had genuine anxiety for the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 8.16 2 Corinthians 8.16 But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Titus had this earnest anxiety for the church at Corinth. And Paul says, I thank God because that love was given to Titus by God. And I believe that. I believe that Christians are to love fellow Christians. And the world sees our love for one another. And they see light. And they're envious of our love. And they seek to join the Christian community. It is not all of us having our own love for the lost. It's like a family. We don't love one another. We, lo- we all love strangers. Nobody's coming to the family. Nobody shows up for family meals because everybody's eating at other families with other families. There's no love there. We're not all to be committed to non-believers. If you have love for Christians, the Bible says it's given by God, given by Christ. And as I said last week, this is what makes the difference in terms of ministry. This is what makes ministry effectual. When you have personal, anxious care for people that you are serving. Because that is the heart of Christ, heart of Paul, and heart of Timothy. You can't feign anxiety for others. You can't pretend to have it. You either care or you don't. It is God-given And you know what? People in the church, they can can tell if you care or not. If you personally care for them. If you you care, it's God-given, it's it's internal, it's undeniable. Paul looked at Timothy and he saw it was true. No one else like him. Genuine concern. Not of himself. Verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me, served with me in the gospel. Right. Son with a father. Right. It's like a family business. But growing up, uh, quick illustration, I used to have part-time jobs. I don't really care. Business is slow. It's better for me. I used to work, pump gas. and I, When it rained, I was happy because less people come to our gas station. But I used to work for my parents' business. My dad's business, my mom's business. It's different working there, flipping burgers. Why? Because this, this is business support my parents. I'm working with my dad. This goes to pay for my allowance, right? A whole different mindset working for my parents as to working for someone else's business. For, for, for Timothy, he wasn't just punching the clock. He was serving with Paul as a son to a father. Well, a quick epilogue, and then we'll cl- some closing thoughts. Paul charts Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, but join me in suffering for the gospel of God. He commissioned him, Second Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. He warned him not to be timid, but to trust in the gospel. And Timothy was faithful to Paul's instructions, Paul's commands, Paul's charge. We have this 
tidbit of information from the book of Hebrews 13.23. One verse, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So by this time, Paul was Paul had been martyred, he was dead. And we find out from this anonymous author of Hebrews that Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. He put his life on the line, just like his father in the faith. And was in prison, he suffered for the Lord. And he didn't run away from ministry. He didn't run away from the from persecution. He endured it as a good son. As a good follower of Christ, son of, of, of Christ and, and Paul, through Paul. So a few final final thoughts, four final thoughts to close our time. Um, what do we look for in leaders? So for all of us, right? As, as elders, as leaders, we are discerning people and as, as potential leaders and affirming leaders. You as well, you are looking for leaders in the church. So women, you're looking at women that you want to model your life after. You want to imitate these women. You want to observe their way of life. As men, you, 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 you discern who are the men that I should follow, I should emulate after. What should you look for? You should look for Consider their reputation in the church. Not what they say they are. What do others say they are? Right. So they can fake it at work. They can fake it in the world. But they can't fake it in the church. They can't. You should also consider that they have genuine concern for believers. Are they doing ministry for themselves? Are they leading for themselves? Are they preaching for themselves and preaching about themselves? Is it all about them or are they ministering because their hearts bleed? Their hearts are broken because they love believers. And they're earnestly longing for their sanctification. And they're earnestly longing for... God to be glorified in their lives. Right? Parents, we understand this, right? Sometimes we fall into the trap of wanting our children to obey so that they will make us look good. Okay, Elizabeth, we're going to church. Obey, okay. So mom and dad will have a good reputation, right? Rather than, children, we want you to obey because we love you. As you obey God, God will bless you. We want you to understand the gospel so that you'll be saved. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care what people think. All I care is that you understand God's love for you and I'll be patient and I'll care and instruct you. So these are the two things to consider today. Have a good reputation in the church, not about their abilities, their personalities, their charisma, their knowledge, reputation. And today, are they good shepherds? They're not hired hands run away when the predators come. They lay themselves down for the sheep. Secondly, uh, I ask you to pray for our leaders. Pray for our leaders, elders on down, that God would give all of us a heart for our church. Every leader at every level, pastors, elders, shepherds, ministry leaders, small group leaders, children's ministry leaders, youth ministry, that God would put into our hearts genuine familial love, anxiety, concern for the members of our church. Right? Leaders, 
pray for your own hearts. You know what's in your heart. You know whether you care or not. You know whether you are just kind of acting, you're pretending, you're performing, your heart's far away, you're just punching the clock. You know whether your heart burns for love for the saints here or you're just conforming outwardly, inwardly you're far away. I think the elders to a degree from our outside observation, we can tell. It's like a coach. He can tell when he looks at his team and uh, he can tell when, when they don't care. They don't care if they win or lose. Right? They don't care when you know they're they're losing and it's all about they're ready to go on to their next game or they have other concerns in their hearts. Well, just like the coaches in an athletic field in the ministry field, to a certain level, pastors and elders, we can tell whether you truly care or not. So we're praying for you. We can't force you to care. We can't force you to be. It's not. It's impossible. Only God can ingrain that upon in your heart. So let's pray together. Let's pray and ask God because that is God's will and pray that God would answer. Thirdly, we find what leaders need. We find what leaders truly need. Um, 2 Timothy 1.4, Paul said to Timothy, I remember your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. 2 Timothy 4.9, do your best to come to me soon. So here is Paul, and by his words to Timothy, we discover what Christian leaders need. Christian leaders need Christians who will care for them, who will love them, who will seek their best interests. Christian leaders need elders, pastors, flock shepherds, so on, that we all need Christian friends who will encourage them as much as they've encouraged others. See, as leaders, we, we are committed to not using followers. But as followers, you must commit to not using leaders, not using us, but to seek to have genuine friendships with us. Treating us fellow, as fellow Christians, as fellow believers, having genuine concern for ourselves, our wives, our families, our children, our hopes, our, our hurts, our struggles, having genuine concern for us. See, we seek to not use you as a means to another end. At the same time, what we need is for you not to use us as a means to another end. Right? As leaders, our concern is what is best for you, not ourselves, not the church, what is best for you. Likewise, your concern should be what is best for Pastor James, Elder Bob, Pastor Marcus, and so on and so on. You should not use us for for another end. We, We wonder sometimes, would you care for us if we weren't leaders? Would you talk to me if I wasn't a pastor of this church? Would you care for my soul? Or are you developing a relationship with me only because I'm a pastor? If I was just James Shin, right? If it was just Bob or Marcus, right? So we're just functionally useful at Cornerstone. 
essentially as Christians, as fellow believers, we're not important. Do you treat your leaders like they don't need appreciation, encouragement, like they don't need ministry? Now, growing up, we think back on how we treated our moms and we're filled with shame, are we not? If you're not filled with shame, you need to repent today, right? Growing up, remember how selfish we were? Like, mom, you didn't fold my clothes right, you know? Mom, dinner is not too good today, what happened? We treat them like they exist for us and their whole life is to please us. And we don't treat them like human beings. We don't treat them and serve them and love them and care for them, right? Well, sometimes we treat our spiritual leaders with that, leaders this way, treat them as if we have limitless right to be selfish with them and around them because they exist for us. Well, leaders do, but even Apostle Paul loved Timothy because Timothy loved him back. Right? Timothy wasn't using Paul to get ahead in life or ministry. Timothy loved Paul like Paul loved Timothy. And then finally, we're encouraged by the gospel of Christ that our life background does not matter in terms of effective ministry. You know, our personality doesn't matter. You know, this extrovert, introvert thing, who cares? You're a timid guy, quiet guy. You have no humor, right? You have no personality. I think Timothy had no personality. I think Timothy was not life of the party. He was a boring guy. I don't know this for sure, but I think go to heaven, yeah. It's, Pastor Jesus, you're right. Timothy was a boring guy. I didn't want to sit with him, right? But he was useful to ministry. God used him mightily and powerfully simply because of the gospel. He believed in the gospel of Christ. Gospel took root in his heart, transformed him, and he wanted to live for the gospel, not for himself, not for anything in this world. So he was available, and he said, "I'm here. I am. Send me. What do you want? Nothing is too beneath me to do. Whatever it is, I will do it." And so, with any man with any kind of background, any kind of weaknesses or or personal personality or personal defects, it matters not. Any man who is gripped with the gospel, God can and will use for His glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for just how wonderfully and beautifully you instruct us to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God. You meet us at our every need. You answer every question. You correct every doubt. You encourage us in the areas we need encouragement the most. And Lord, you gripped us with the gospel causing our eyes and hearts to turn away from ourselves and causing our eyes to be fixed on you in our hearts, worn by the passion of Christ, worn by the gospel, softened by it. Now we turn to you. And just like Timothy, we confess, Lord, we're not Paul. No way. We don't even come close to being like the Apostle Paul. But we find much that are similar with Timothy. We're young We have many weaknesses. We are timid. We are frail. 
we have doubts and fears and anxieties bounding in our hearts. But like Timothy, you have given us grace in Christ. So we pray you would call us to stand strong in the grace that is in Christ and the gospel would bear fruit in our lives so that in our, in our lives and through our lives we'll bring you glory with our fellow co-worker Timothy. We thank you for the instructions the exhortations given to us in the Word of God. May we cherish it and live by it this week. In Jesus' name, amen.